Soundscapes. A Mystic Soundscapes netcast. The latest news in the world of New Age music, concert updates, artist interviews, contests, and more. Presented by Mystic Soundscapes Internet Radio. Because life sounds better. Chill. And now, Escapes. It's show number 29 for Monday, November 5th, 2007. I'm Pete. Daylight savings time this past weekend. Hope you guys turned your clocks back an hour and gained some of that precious sleep time. Or in my case, work time. Always a pleasure, let me tell you. Actually, I didn't turn back my clocks until I woke up Sunday morning because I kind of forgot about it. So I was making a pot of coffee and I realized it was daylight savings. So I turned back the clock an hour and made a second pot of coffee. I'm loving this. Great show for you today. Two beautiful and talented women on the podcast. We're going to be hearing from vocalist Terry Richardson and also Lorianne Cunningham who records as No Escape. If you haven't heard their music, you are in for a sweet treat, baby. I think you're going to love what you hear. Also, the big interview with music legend Peter Buffett. Peter's music uh, has been an inspiration to me and so many listeners and artists over the past 20 years and it was really great to be able to talk with him about his career and, and so many of the things he's doing. And believe me, he's doing a lot of stuff. Seriously, I, I needed like several cups of coffee just to make it through the interview. He's so busy, but that's coming up in just a few. We're going to start with a track now from Australian singer-songwriter Terry Richardson from Terry's album Ethereal. This is Eyes Wide Open. Hidden depth I cannot 
like his eyes wide open. The album is Ethereal. That's Terry Richardson on Escapes. If you like what you heard, and I know you did, there's no use denying it, my friend. Check out more from Terry on our MySpace page at myspace.com slash Terry M. Richardson. Terry spelled T-E-R-I. Also, her website's online at terry-richardson.com. Top 10 track list for the past 30 days on Radio Mystic. Here we go. In at number 10, Lorena McKennett's Incantation. Number 9, Tim Janis with Falls Ridge. Number 8, Twilight by Delirium. Number 7, Doug Sparling with Metal on Metal. Number 6, Gail Revilla's River of Souls. Number 5, Tim McGowan's Midnight Sun. Number 4, Bridge to Heaven by David Arkenstone's Troika Project. Number 3, Voss with the track Unbecome. Number 2, Midori's Secret. And the number one track is rated and requested by our listeners over the past 30 days. Ireland's Sinead Lohan with What Can Never Be. Be sure to check out our weekly top five every Monday on the homepage at radiomystic.com. He's an Emmy Award-winning film composer and recording artist with some amazing works to his name, creator of Spirit the Seventh Fire live music tour, and the master of No Age Music. Peter Buffett's with us today. Welcome to the show, Peter. Thank you. Great to be here. Oh, I appreciate you being here, too. No Age Music. I saw that on uh, one of your websites. I love that term. Yeah, I do, too. <laughs> I'm glad you uh, picked up on that. New Age just doesn't cut it anymore, you know? No, the, you know, I think we've all been looking for another term forever because it just doesn't quite say what the music's about and I don't know if anything can ever explain music completely so right. there you have it well that's a good start congratulations right. <laughs> now I wanted to start with a little bit of your background if you don't mind um, a lot of the artists I talk with tell me that their first exposure to creating music was at a very young age does that hold true for you as well absolutely my mother claims that I sang before I talked <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know if that's true but supposedly Twinkle Twinkle Little Star came out of my mouth at a very early age and then I really immediately you know I think when I was walking I was over pounding on the piano and having the you know low notes be the thunder and the high notes be the rain and you know wow. so, yeah the expression started coming at an early age and the family was pretty supportive of your uh, music endeavors very much so you know it's it's funny because uh I get a version of that question asked because my dad is such a well-known uh, investor and in the business world, and people say, gee, isn't he disappointed you didn't go into business or something? And the truth is we do the same thing. We do what we love. And from a very early age, my parents said, boy, if you're lucky enough to be able to do something you love, do it. Always encouraged. That's great support there. Yeah. Do you remember if there was a certain point, uh, maybe like one of those light bulb moments where you realized that music was where you wanted to be? Absolutely. I grew up playing music and making music with a friend of mine. We played four-handed piano a lot, and he, uh, to this day, still is just an extraordinarily accomplished musician. So I never thought I was very good. <laughs> he, <laughs> he was so good, technically. And uh, so I went off to college really not thinking that music was going to be a career. And I actually... You know, I played around with music some. My friend, actually, his brother had a recording studio, so I started to get a feel for overdubbing and these various things. I liked the technology. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't until I was in a friend's dorm in college, he said, come on over, this guy's going to play guitar for a while. And uh, we sat in the common room in his dorm and listened to this guy play guitar, and it just 
absolutely was an epiphany that this is not about technical proficiency. It's about melody and soul and all of that, you know, and that you can make somebody cry with just the right couple of notes if they're the right ones and (laughs) and they come out right. So that changed my life. It really did. And it turns out that that guy was William Ackerman uh, who <laughs> started great. Wyndham Hill Records. Yeah, well, a small I, world. Which is amazing. <laughs> but uh, I had no idea at the time who he would ultimately become in terms of his impact on instrumental music. But he changed my life. It's amazing how things work out like that, huh? Yeah. time composing music for theater productions and actually commercials as well, right? Yeah, I started then writing music for basically anybody I could. And uh, in the Bay Area, that was both, you know, film students, although film wasn't a big thing. Uh, I went to Stanford for a year and a half, and certainly film wasn't the big thing there. But I did write some uh, there. And then I moved up to San Francisco and wrote a lot for this crazy video show that was on Friday nights on the public channel there, uh, and then stumbled really into commercials and built a business for a good 15 years. That's all I did pretty much was wow. um, write music for commercials because it was how you could actually make a living and write music. We do a, a lot of commercial music here because we're, we're audio producers as well, and so I'm, I know what you're, where you're coming from there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's the way to sustain yourself, and you, you'll appreciate the story is that I I was doing anything and everything, because that's how you start, is you just <laughs> do whatever comes your way, sort of, and <laughs> then I moved next door to a guy who said, you know, you should meet my son, because he's uh, doing little animated pieces for television, and, and they might need music for some of this stuff, and so I met this guy, and they were commissioned, this animation company in San Francisco, to do these little 15-second promos for a new cable channel. And so I got hired to do some of the music for for those things. This was in 1981, and it was MTV. Oh, wow. And so I, <laughs> you know, and of course the commercial guys, the advertising agencies, always want to look for what's new and hip and happening. Yeah. And by accident, essentially, I, I was doing what was new and hip and happening. <laughs> so I went from really just kind of getting... You know, uh, if I was lucky, you know, $1,000 or $1,500 to do uh, something, you know, a 15-second thing or a 30-second thing, to suddenly getting launched into the big agencies and the big leagues where it went from that to, you know, $10,000 to do a 30-second spot. And that... that the light bulb went off there. It was too hard to figure out that that's where I wanted to be. Yeah, I'm sitting here thinking I'm in the wrong business now. Yeah, well, you know, and it's changed a lot because then it's interesting in the 80s, I was kind of living off of the same budgets that were built in the 70s and earlier around big studios and orchestras or all these different things. But I was this new kind of person coming along that was doing things out of their house with synthesizers and and then samplers later on. So the budgets were still big, uh, but the production elements weren't as big. So that worked in my favor in a big way uh, through the 80s and into the 90s. And then, of course, 
pretty soon, you know, now certainly uh, anybody can get a hold of a couple of software programs and make some music. So I think the budgets are much more competitive now. Oh, I agree. Now, has the yeah. fact that you've actually done this and written music for commercials like that and the shorter pieces had any impact on how you approach writing your music today? Absolutely. I think if you listen to my first record on Narada uh, back in, I think, 86, uh, The Waiting, mm-hmm. you'll hear uh, specifically in the first couple songs, uh, the title song in particular, it moves kind of from one thing to the next. The sections are fairly discreet in that song, and they kind of you get one thematic thing going and then it shifts and then it shifts again and I think it's because after 30 seconds or 60 seconds I was kind of wondering what I should do next because it, <laughs> it, to actually do something for any length of time so I think it really affected how I wrote and how I would shift between even today between a chorus and a verse or something in a song kind of like because, a little uh, musical ADD or something yeah because <laughs> I really expect something to happen and, right. and, and in my later years with commercial I wouldn't even have to use a stopwatch. I still would, but I found myself just automatically writing in these kind of 30-second pieces. Four records with Narada back uh, in the 80s, early 90s, right? Yep, right. Um, those are still some of my personal favorite works from you, by the way. Thank you. And uh, during this time, I read that you started shopping your music around in the film industry. Right. I really actually um, got the record deal to get to the film world. So in other words, I was in San Francisco. I was doing these commercials. I saw an acquaintance, Mark Isham, uh, put a record out on Wyndham Hill. Uh, the record was used as temp music in Never Cry Wolf, the film. The director loved that temp music, hired him, and you know now he's you know a world-renowned film composer. Right. Uh, so I thought, okay, that's the way you get into film, <laughs> is you get a record deal. <laughs> so, um, so I didn't actually set out to be a recording artist. It was just kind of a a plan to get to film um, and the plan worked you know I, I put out a, a, first of all I had to shop a demo to, right. to get signed and uh, at that time of course new age music was just hitting its real peak in the the mid to late 80s thanks to William Ackerman (laughs) and uh, so I had actually recorded a Narada artist I forget who it was to tell you the truth but uh, so I knew of Narada I sent them a demo um, and got signed by them uh, just as they got their distribution deal with MCA so it was really peaking and so my first record came out and it actually got radio play and it actually sold (laughs) Wow. Yeah, it was in fact I tell people now that I was selling 40,000 units and they can't believe it because <laughs> now everybody wants to try and figure out how to sell 40,000 units. <laughs> but in those days it was considered, you know, okay, but not great. Uh, but then I did my second record and again with this idea of wanting to get into film and some of the feelings around the music in that uh, on that second CD uh, one by one was based on a book I had read called Son of the Morning Star which was 
about the essentially about the history of the North American Indian nations in the 19th century. Right. And I was so struck by what I had read. I'd never really uh, read anything or, or knew, even though I came from Nebraska. I didn't know the story. Most people didn't learn it in school. Uh, I wrote some music just emotionally connected to that. Walked by my television that happened to be on one day and saw that Kevin Costner was making this movie. It was on Entertainment Tonight. And I went, oh my God, that's that's the film. This is my big moment. Right. I got to get my CD to Kevin. Uh, and I had uh, gone to college with a guy who married a woman whose father was Costner's agent's best friend. <laughs> so as is usually the story in this, you know, crazy entertainment world, yep. uh, that is how my record got to Kevin Costner. Amazing. Uh, and uh, then... You know, that's another part of the story. I can keep talking or you yeah, I can well, stop yeah. and no, let you no, that's great. It's like they say, you're about six degrees away from anybody you need to be in touch with, right? Yeah, it's really true. And it's really just that, first of all, the, the fact that I kind of had this long range plan, which is not really my style, but it happened <laughs> to be that I could really see that if I wanted to get to film, I had to get to the record thing. And also with commercials, I knew I didn't want to be pegged as just a commercial guy. I knew right. early on the value essentially of a brand. I thought, you know, if I can build my brand, which in the entertainment world means you build your artistic self, you know, so right. people want you for whatever it is, then you're more valuable. If I'm just a commercial guy, then I'm I'm pretty generic and in fact that's sort of how you do well in commercials is you do become generic so people uh you know because they want their product to sell not your music to sell right right um <laughs> and so i thought you know i gotta change this so i'm more valuable as who i am and that also said okay that means i gotta put records out you know to get my name out there exactly in your career of where things have gone and the connections you've made and how they've opened up new avenues for you. And, yeah. you know, speaking of the Dances with Wolves, uh, you recorded a, a, a two-and-a-half-minute piece for that scene in that movie. Right. And then you ended up working with Kevin on another project of his that came up. Exactly, yeah. Kevin actually, when he heard my stuff, he actually asked me to score the film, Dances with Wolves. And oh, wow. I had never scored a film, and he had never directed a film. So <laughs> the film company said, you're crazy. <laughs> you, you've taken us far enough on this ride, Mr. Costner. You're not going to have somebody else come in here who's never done this before. So they essentially said no, and then he called me back a few months later and said, there's one scene that I'd like you to do. And uh, so I did that, which was the fire dance scene. Uh, and it's actually not even two and a half minutes. It's about two minutes. Wow. <laughs> um, but it was called out in various reviews as being the pivotal scene in the film. So that was the great thing is I only got two minutes, but it was 
a great two minutes to get. Um, but then, like you're saying, that did lead then to eight hours of score for 500 Nations, which was a CBS television eight-hour series about the uh, history of the North American Indian nations. So, right. you know, that's where you do what you're asked, and then if you do it well, you never know where it might lead. And now, yeah. was it in the, the 500 Nations that you first hooked up with Chief Hawk Pope? Yes. That yes. was when uh, an interest and kind of gravitational pull, I guess, towards the subject matter turned into a real artistic expression and really a connection. I, the, the editor of, five, one of the editors on 500 Nations was pulling music, just like editors do, mm-hmm. um, to cut to, and came across this really uh, esoteric <laughs> CD that was out there um, with Hawk Pope singing on it. And the director loved his voice and said, we got to find that guy. And so they did. They tracked him down. And the day he came to L.A. to record, I was busy doing my thing in the studio. So the editor, actually, that found him uh, went into the studio with him to record some songs. And then I had lunch with him after that. And I sat down with him. I hadn't heard anything yet, but I sat down at lunch and said, uh, you know, I'm probably going to use your voice inside of the music I'm making. You know, I may use it in ways where I take it out of context. And is that okay? And he said yes. And I knew he was saying yes to something he had no idea what I was talking about because I didn't even have any idea what I was talking about. I just wanted the permission to, like, experiment. Right, right. And he gave me that, which was great. Uh, But then when I did hear what he'd done and how seamlessly it just fit right into the music I was making. It was extraordinary. It was just, again, that was sort of a transformative light bulb moment. went, wow, this is magic. And then we went on to you know, be involved with the Spirit Show together and all sorts of things. But that was the beginning of it with the 500 Nations soundtrack. And that obviously, you know, the uh, Spirit was, was uh, an entire, well, several years of your career was spent on yeah. Spirit, right? Yeah, absolutely. That was really, that felt like a calling, essentially. Yeah. That went from uh, kind of rational, <laughs> one foot in front <laughs> of the other, to uh, this is, now I'm just along for the ride. <laughs> Yeah. This is much bigger than I am, and um, it it was a big chunk of my life. Yeah. Oh, I can imagine. I can imagine the time and the the you know mental and emotional effort you put into that thing as well. Just uh, like nothing I'll probably ever do again in some ways, because I also was learning what it meant to do something that big. And so I, you know, I'll never have that experience again. It was like learning to walk or something. <laughs> <laughs> it only happens once. <laughs> We 
actually from one of our dedicated listeners. His name is Anthony. He's from the uh, Sci-Fi and Fantasy Podcast. Oh, great. And uh, he wanted me to ask you what actually inspired you to say, you know, I've done the instrumental stuff. I've done all this. Damn it, it it's time for me to sing and get my voice heard. Um, uh, and I, I, I see yeah. the progression here, but why don't you explain how that came about? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, two words, personal pain. <laughs> and, and I have to say, it's it's true. I went through such a, a tumultuous time in every corner of my life with the spirit show, with making that real. Um, it, you know, it started out as, as there was another producer in 1998 and 99, and it was a PBS special, and it went through all these you know, my learning of what it takes to do it. And then I thought, you know what, this isn't right. I want to do it myself. And for about four, really five years, then it went from taking what I knew would be, uh, what I thought would be certainly an extraordinary show and statement um, to fruition and having it on the mall in Washington and, you know, really right. thinking big and, and doing it. And, and I just, it just turned me inside out. And during that process, then uh, my wife and I had moved to New York because the show was going to tour on the east coast and so we were subletting an apartment in new york and when i had to shut the show down finally in 2005 we decided to stay here and i was just completely drained she went on um i i think about two weeks she went away with some friends on a trip she was actually went to africa <clears throat> so she was far away i was all by myself and songs started coming out <laughs> they just started coming out. I mean, it, it was not a plan. It was not anything I expected. But I started to write, I equate it to kind of digging this well deep inside of me over these years of, of what I had gone through personally. And then sticking a pail down there and coming up and songs came out. <laughs> uh, and, and so it was really, and, and you know, I had tried to write songs with lyrics when I first started way back in you know college days and what I realized is for me you know some people don't have this problem but for me I had to live life first in order to sing about something. Right. So I had these kind of stupid songs, probably, <laughs> although I can't even remember them now, um, way back when. But now I, I was feeling like, okay, this is this is really stuff I'm, I'm feeling and I need to get out of myself. And, um, and I had written songs for other people and they had been successful enough. So I knew, okay, I can write songs. I like writing songs. And so I just started doing it. And how did you feel when you actually, after Gold Star, you sat there and listened? Uh, uh, were you a little uh, nervous about releasing that? Totally. At first, I was going to put it out under another name. I had that all figured out. <laughs> and even the first pressing, uh, which I've just now got a, a new pressing back with actual, it's kind of properly packaged with lyrics. And it looks like an actual package as opposed to the first one, uh, which is just this slimline plastic thing with no back and you know it's like it was literally just okay I'm going to press some of these up so I have physical product but I'm not going to take it too seriously <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like Peter Buffett sneaking into the record store and slipping his CD behind everything else and then running out yeah absolutely <laughs> you know? yep yep until some people started to really like it then it was like right. oh yeah right that's me <laughs> exactly. yeah see <laughs>
love that CD. We're, we're actually playing a track called Patiently. Oh, great. From that yeah. one, which is an awesome one. And then your latest you. one, uh, Staring at the Sun, fantastic. It's, it's got a cool 60s vibe to it. Um, Thank you. Just love, love what you're doing. I, it's it's a direction that I never expected to hear you take, and it's, it was really a, a pleasant surprise. Thank you. Yeah, uh, well, likewise. It's It's been a really fun thing for me because I've always, I mean, I grew up in a, pop song world. I mean, I saw the Beatles on Ed Sullivan and I split the dollar 99 with my sister to go buy the record, you know, the next day right. b- before they were signed to Capitol. I mean, this was still on VJ records. Wow. I was an early adopter of, <laughs> uh, of them and everything that followed. So to be able to then put, especially certain songs like on Staring at the Sun, Broken Open, that sounds like a Beatles song to me. You yeah, know, and exactly. So, so to be able to do that in my own way is just it's kind of thrilling beyond belief actually that i can actually pull this out of myself somehow <laughs> that's great and you're uh, you're obviously going to continue along this path for a while and, and as well as the rest of the stuff you're doing right yeah absolutely i i'm still doing uh scores although i i kind of purposely uh, dances with wolves and 500 nations were amazing experiences and i've had a few others like not quite like that but but similar uh in terms of just how fun they were to do but i purposely didn't move to la i was told you know move to la and you can get hooked up with all this stuff but i thought you know that uh it's funny because my dad actually lives in omaha he was told you got to be on wall street you got to do your things your thing this way and he said no you know i want to do it on my own on my own terms and right I didn't consciously think I was doing the same thing, but that's exactly what I did. I said, no, I'm going to stay in Milwaukee. Uh, I was there for 15 years. You know, I'm going to build a career that's based on what I feel is right, as opposed to, you know, moving to L.A. and said, could you sound like Hans Zimmer because we can't afford him, right. <laughs> which is generally what happened, at least for a while. And uh, so I I really set out on this you know, different path, and it's been fun to follow that, and also to keep up with various other things. For instance, again, I just scored this two-hour show for PBS uh, called Prayer in America. You know, and so I'm. It's instrumental, obviously, and it's support score and all of that. And I love doing that. And right. I, I will do a couple of those a year. Uh, I'll put out the records uh, more for my own satisfaction. But if something can get licensed to a television show, how great would that be? And, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, all sorts of different things. So it's nice to keep it all going. It is. And, and you know, with the, with the most recent album, too, and, and you brought up your father again, um, earlier this year, everybody knows he kind of endowed a huge sum of money to each of his kids for your own personal foundations. Right. Um, um, and as a result, you and your wife, Jennifer, started the Novo Foundation. Um, right. I'm sure life has gotten even way busier now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that kind of led to your trip to West Africa. And I read that that was the inspiration for another one of the songs on Staring at the Sun. Right, exactly. And that's been really interesting. The whole <laughs> thing has been so fascinating because... The foundation work, my dad actually, we had smaller, we had a smaller foundation before because my dad always, from the time 
I, it mattered, which I don't know when that was, but he said, you know, money's, the money I'm making is going back to society. Right. It's not, you're not going to inherit some giant amount of money, which we were all fine with. I mean, I love the fact that I can say I built my life myself. Right. And so that's never been an issue, but we always thought that money was going to go back to society after he died and that it wouldn't come to us necessarily, that it would go to another foundation. So the fact that while he's still living, he decided to do it this way uh, was a surprise and it's overwhelming. I mean, the responsibility and the opportunity to do what we're doing has been incredible. Yeah, I was going to say surprise. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I I joke with him and other people. I say, you know, he never asked us. He just did it. (laughs) So suddenly we're, you know, we're strapped in a good way with this big responsibility. And so now we have our offices here in New York and it's it's a whole different world but I'm learning so much about what's going on everywhere in so many ways and it did take us then to West Africa to Liberia and Sierra Leone which are two uh, especially Liberia just ravaged countries mm, yeah. something I'd never ever seen and I took a little video camera with me and and captured a lot of what we saw and came back and wrote the song Anything that's on Staring at the Sun. And then, and I didn't even think about doing this, but a few months later I went, wait a minute, I've got all this footage. I should cut something together to that song. And so now on my MySpace page and on my website and up on YouTube and everywhere (laughs) else, um, which is so great that you can do it, there's a video uh, that accompanies the song that I think the most interesting thing about that is it really all came from the experience. It wasn't, none of it was planned. Right, you know, I, right. I went on this trip and then came back and went, wow, I'm feeling these things. I'm going to put it into music. And then I saw these things. Let's put it to the music that I made. I watched the video and it's just mesmerizing just to see what you saw yeah, while you were yeah. there and, and put and it to totally, the words of music. Yeah, totally organic, you know, not at all planned or, or right. anything. It just came out of the experience. It is pretty amazing what you can do with all the technology these days and so quickly you know i'm telling you the the (laughs) life that i've lived i don't know how old you are but i've been through everything you know i was around pre-midi and pre-everything just about i'm 42 so i'm I'm almost okay so yeah yeah so i mean yes we it wasn't steam powered but it was just about that bad and now to be able to do these things, you know, with uh, images and obviously music and everything else. It's just fantastic. It's a dream come true. sites uh one of them you're sitting in the middle of a bunch of wires yeah <laughs> and then the next one you're sitting on a nice open porch looking at the mountains with your laptop and your yes, keyboard <laughs> that's right yeah that that's is it. <laughs> that is everything that is it it says yep. it all right there you know yeah i know to not have to sit behind a pile of cables anymore is 
the best <laughs> thing ever. <laughs> well, we'll wrap up in a few minutes here, but I just got a couple more questions for you. And, and speaking of the technology, what are you thinking uh, about the uh, direction the music industry is taking these days with the MP3s and digital downloads and all that? Well, I, I mean, I guess ultimately on my MySpace page, my little sentence is, uh, it was inevitable, I suppose. <laughs> right. Which means, of course, just having to get a MySpace page. <laughs> but I suppose that's true with the downloads and everything else as well. I don't think it's a bad thing. You know, I was explaining to my dad because he was asking me how sales were going and stuff. And I said, you know, the amazing thing is that the means of production, the barriers to entry to all of this went to almost zero. At the same time, worldwide distribution became available to everyone. Right, right. (laughs) So both things happened at once, which (laughs) is, you know, we sort of take that for granted because we've all watched it kind of unfold in front of us. But it's tremendous to see that, to see that anybody can make music now and anybody can grab a hold of that music and listen to it. But there's so much stuff. I, I mean, know. The, the truth is it's the the idea of a recommendation engine. You know, the, the idea that the, the recommendation used to be the car radio. Right. right. <laughs> you know, the DJ was your recommendation engine. That's <laughs> and, right. <laughs> and you just trusted a particular, you know, spot on the dial or a DJ at a particular time or a reviewer that, you know, you'd read in some magazine. Uh, but now uh, it's everywhere all the time. Right. And I guess that strikes me as the downside. And of course, the whole valuation of music, you know, people think you should get it for free now. And, and that's tough for me to, you know, you can't help but ask, okay, well, then how are the people that are making the music going to live? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Right. You did mention that on, on one of your interviews. I think you said that music will never be valued the same way again. Yeah, uh, absolutely not. It's hard. I, yeah. The only thing that will stay valuable is the live experience. I right. Mean, that's the one thing you can stake a claim and say that can't be replaced. But I don't think you can make a living necessarily off of it either. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you see the Madonna deal with Live Nation, and it's brilliant because it's the live experience that is the only thing left. Right. And uh, I say it's brilliant. It's also, you know, the death knell probably for the music industry between that and what Radiohead did. Um, you know, there's, I don't know what's left except the live experience and trying to take a piece of merchandising, which is what some of the labels are trying to do now. They're trying yeah. to actually get a piece of the t-shirts. <laughs> it's like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's crazy. It's, it's a double-edged sword, this technology stuff, you know? And, and yeah. I'm, I'm really hoping that, that we can all come to some sort of a, some kind of a model that, that, that will benefit everybody involved, you know? It, it's yeah. just, it's hard to see, you know, like you said, artists like yourself having to worry about, hey, are people going to even want to pay for my music? Yeah. And, and that's no. just, that it shouldn't be that way. No, it's really, uh, I yeah, that I can't imagine what the ultimate outcome is going to be because uh, at the same time, I would bet you that there was some of this going around with painters and fine artists when photography happened. I mean, exactly, right, right. Some kind of analogy there, I think. <laughs> and, um, you know, so I, it's. Something retains its value, but it's never the same. Right. I'm hoping for the best in the industry, I'll tell you that. And, yeah, you know, likewise. On a personal level, we're doing all we can to help promote and, and, and do as much as we can for you guys as well. And that's why things like this are important. I mean, you know, it's it's this is what you got to do is, is 
you know get out there and be heard and what you're doing is really valuable well thank you thank you and, and you as well obviously thanks <laughs> all right less one last question i'm kind of almost afraid to ask this one you know i'm looking at my to-do list here today kind of says yeah. buy more coffee produce the podcast and take out the garbage and to me that's overwhelming right <laughs> after talking with you i'm like boy i need a vacation you know <laughs> yeah but you know, what i mean is there more on your to-do list what's in the future for peter buffett what's coming up well i actually um there's a the, the the big thing for me is seeing if now and i don't know why i keep doing this to myself and my wife asked me that occasionally <laughs> jokingly because she knows it's just who i am um <laughs> But uh, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to go to Kansas City with guys I work with in the spirit band and some friends I've known forever and try and put a band together and try and do the vocal stuff, the, the gold star and staring at the sun material live. Wow. Uh, because here I was just saying, you know, there's nothing like the live experience. Right. So I'm going to see if I can actually pull that off. Awesome. Uh, which will be a lot of fun. So that's, and then we're going to actually do a show in Kansas City, a small one, just to test the waters. Um, so that's coming up, which will be fun. And, and if that works well, I'll, I'm sure to do more performing next year which will be a lot of fun awesome um the spirit show looks like it's going to germany and potentially china (laughs) so uh but luckily that's sort of running under its own power i don't you know i only have to ramp up for that now people can look at it on dvd and just buy it exactly um but that's that's in the works as well and and then there's just the foundation work I, I tell people I don't read books or go to movies anymore <laughs> there is no time yeah, um, I can imagine but I'm not complaining <laughs> you're living at Starbucks aren't you yes definitely yeah, <laughs> <laughs> all right folks well the new CD is staring at the sun uh, you can find it right now on peterbuffett.com and I'm sure uh, at all the major online retailers yep absolutely well. from iTunes to Amazon and everything else yep. awesome great and also be sure to check out Peter's MySpace. It's myspace.com slash Peter Buffett. Yep. Uh, Peter, it's been such an honor having you on the show today. Thank you so much for sharing your talents and your insights with myself and our listeners. It's, it's been awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. From Peter Buffett's latest album, Staring at the Sun, this is Anything.
Buffett from his latest album, Staring at the Sun. The track is called Anything here on Escapes. I'm Pete Havey. Be sure to check out Peter's website at peterbuffett.com. And yes, he's now on MySpace at myspace.com slash peterbuffett. Grab that new CD. Grab Gold Star. In fact, it'd be good for you to grab the entire Peter Buffett collection to get the full range of musical possibilities there. And of course, you can hear more from Peter on our internet station at radiomystic.com. Here's what's happening in the music. Be sure to grab the latest release from DJ Sibbo. The album's recorded in a dream, limited to a first run of 500 copies. Just grabbed my copy last week, and if you haven't heard Sib's work, you are missing out. A lot of raw talent in this girl, and if you're into electronica, IDM, or ambient stuff, definitely check her out. MySpace.com slash DJCYBO. Got an email from Jules Delgado over at Tuscan Sun Records last week who told me about the new seasonal album from the vocalist Say. It's called A Winter Blessing, Songs for the Season. You can hear tracks from Say's original album, One Voice, as well as her One Voice EP on Radio Mystic. Beautiful voice and mesmerizing music from Say. Watch for A Winter Blessing, November 13th, and be sure to listen for tracks on our seasonal station, Winterscapes. Spanish songstress Priscilla Hernandez played cover girl for the October issue of Faye magazine. Check out the shots at myspace.com slash Priscilla Hernandez. New track posted on Ryan Farish's MySpace page. It's called Wonderful. Ryan is affectionately known as the Weather Channel dude because you'll hear a lot of his work on the Weather Channel. But there's also so much more. Check it out at myspace.com slash Ryan Farish and you can hear our interview with Ryan in podcast number 12. The latest word from ambient down-tempo artist Lemon Chill is that there will be no physical release for the new album Sentence. Only digital downloads available and uh, you can grab your copy at online retailers, iTunes, Beatport, Napster and more. Check the details at myspace.com slash lemon chill and finally the second release from electroacoustic ambient vocalist amethyst is on the way watch for shimmer to see the light of day in early spring 08 and keep an eye on her myspace at ethereal soprano amethyst more music news on our site at radiomystic.com slash music Vocalist, composer, producer Lorianne Cunningham records music as No Escape, a really cool blend of classical and electronic sounds with down-tempo beats. Lorianne's a classically trained musician who possesses angelic beauty and a mesmerizing voice. Here's No Escape with Return.
return from No Escape. Hear more music from Lorianne and No Escape on her MySpace. Uh, and you can also grab the tracks there too at myspace.com slash no escape music. Plus listen for more music from No Escape on Radio Mystic. Podcast number 29, wrap it up. Man, I just think a few weeks from now, I'm going to be burping turkey and undoing that top button on my pants at the dinner table <laughs> to the dismay of family and friends. It's going to be so much fun, I can't wait. Our next show is going to be a special edition podcast with an hour's worth of solid music and barely any talking from me, which will be reason enough to tune in. Okay, I get it. Thank you. Thanks for sharing. Darn vultures. That's a special edition podcast coming up in just a few weeks. If you're an artist, you want to get in on the show, send me an email at podcast at mysticsoundscapes.com. That wraps up show number 29. Thanks so much for listening. For Escapes, I'm Pete Havey.